Hey, let's open up God's Word where we find eternal life, if you will. Turn with me to John chapter 6. John chapter 6 is going to be our last message in John chapter 6, at least for this season. We're going to be John chapter 6, verse 60. If you need a Bible, if you look there in front of you or down the way and grab a pew Bible, we'd love for you to join us. And you can actually turn to page 892 and you'll be there on John chapter 6. I cannot express to you how important it is for us to hold the Word of God in our hands. How valuable it is for us to possess a Bible and to read the words on the pages. So whether you're in a good season, where as you read it's making sense and your heart is on fire for the Lord, or whether you're in a season where you're reading but it's not connecting with you, you're struggling, I want to encourage us all to remain in the Word. And we come to the word today, John chapter 6, starting in verse 60. We'll read through the end of the chapter. When many of the disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. There are some of you who do not believe. Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Let us pray together. Father, we are grateful for your word and grateful for the good confession of Peter. But the greater truth behind that good confession is your grace. That you have caused us and made it available for us to come to you through the power of the Holy Spirit. And as followers of Christ, we can be asked the question, to whom shall we go? 
For there is no other one that we can go to to find eternal life. May we remain rooted in Christ Jesus. And I pray for those among us today who are on the fringe, those who are wandering, those who may be falling away, that today they would have eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to receive. Jesus Christ. Father, help us where we struggle. Lead us to be faithful and to forever rely on you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may have a seat. In 1997, there was a heartbreak that swept across the nation. Young girls were breaking up with their boyfriends at a rapid pace. It took place at many disciple nails where at the end, it was the end of many relationships for boys and girls as they read the book, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. The author, Joshua Harris, he was in his young 20s. And he felt led to offer advice to teenagers that they should give up the approach of worldly standards of dating and that they should pursue godly friendship, which I say amen to. I I think that's a great truth. There are many great principles within the book, although the book was somewhat legalistic in its approach. It had many great truths to it. Later, he wrote a book called Boy Meets Girl, Say Hello to Courtship. Not many young teenagers would say, hey, are you interested in entering into a courtship with me? But some of you older ones here in the building, that's how you referred to it. Later, he wrote a book called Not Even a Hint. I really appreciated this book because his approach was to address lust and how we should take captive every thought and there should not even be a hint within us and moving towards that temptation. In the front of the book, he He said his goal was to help and guide and lead without dragging the mind through the gutter. And he was referring to a book called Every Man's Battle, uh, which was a hard book to get through because the imagery was so vivid. And yet there are many good questions in the back of this book for accountability for men and women who struggle with lust so that they can continue to pursue Christ and follow faithfully. But there was another great heartbreak that swept across the nation over a month ago when Joshua Harris and his wife simultaneously on Instagram said that they were getting a divorce. And then right after this post, Joshua Harris continued. And this is what he had to say. I have undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. The popular phrase for this is deconstruction. The biblical phrase is falling away. By all the measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. Many people tell me that there is a different way to practice faith, and I want to remain open to this, but I'm not there now. When we read statements like this, we begin to ask questions. How could someone who wrote these books and someone who was a pastor for many years arrive at this conclusion that they're not even a Christian? 
And it bears evidence, as we have seen in the Bible and as we continue to see today, that there are many among the church who were never a part of the church. They looked the part, they said the part, they influenced many. But yet, due to their falling away, it is evidence that they were never among the fold. This can be scary for many, for all. It should cause us to examine our lives according to the Scriptures, and that we should never think that we're above falling away, although we may be most convinced that we're Christians. As Joshua Harris, I'm sure for many years, was most convinced that he is a Christian, now he is saying, I am no longer a Christian. He goes on to then apologize to the LGBTQ community that he was against marriage equality. And he took a step further to go to Vancouver and to march in a pride parade earlier this month to show his support and that he was sorry for how he took a stand against that and how that was wrong. But yet he still speaks of things like love and faith. But what we know, according to Scripture, that true love and true faith does not exist apart from Christ Jesus. And there are many, like Joshua Harris, who are standing around Jesus in John chapter 6. Thousands of people that are getting ready to turn and walk the other way. And it's not a crazy thought that there may even be some among us in this room today who are getting ready to turn away. Because following Jesus is not what you expected. And for these men and women, following Jesus is not what they expected. And so today we have before us the reaction of unbelief versus the reaction of belief. A turning away from Christ versus remaining in Christ. So the question for all of us today in this room is this. To whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? Number one, if we are to remain in Christ... We must embrace the hard teachings of Christ. As we see in verse 60, this word hard, when the disciples, and we're careful to say disciples here, but they were disciples at this point because they were following Jesus. They say, this is a hard saying. Skleros in the Greek means harsh, stiff, severe. This is a severe saying, Jesus. What was so hard? about this saying? And what saying was it that they found to be so severe? Was it that Jesus said that he came down from heaven? Or when he said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him? There are a lot of people today in many Baptist churches and many churches today to say that's severe. In fact, if it wasn't a verse, they would say that it's not even scriptural. Or that Jesus was going to the cross Maybe that's what they found so harsh. Or when Jesus said, eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. Maybe that's what they found so severe. What was it? As I've studied this passage, I really believe it comes down to when Jesus said that he came down from heaven and that no one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. They're greatly offended. And because the Jews were not willing to embrace the hard teachings of Christ, They found it hard-pressed that anyone could believe Jesus. Maybe you've encountered a skeptic like this, where they're going, there's no way Jesus is real, and anyone who would believe in Jesus 
is a fake, is a phony. They know deep down Jesus isn't real. They can't get it past their minds that anyone would truly believe that Jesus exists and that Jesus came to live among us and that he lived a perfect life and that he went to the cross, that he shed his blood, he died for real sinners to redeem their lives from the pit of destruction so that they could then be put on the solid rock of Jesus Christ and have a relationship with the God who made them. They would say, no, 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 that doesn't happen. That's not real because I don't believe that it's real. And that's what's going through their minds as they stand around Jesus. They ask this question, who can listen to it? Akuo, in the Greek, means to hear, understand, comprehend. How would this get through their thick skulls and hard hearts? How could they really hear? Well, this same word is used in Acts chapter 7. When a man who is set aside, as we see our early Deacons were called to serve tables. One of the men was named Stephen. And he knew the word of God. And he stands before religious leaders. I want to be clear on this. He stands before religious people. Even the high priest in this setting in Acts chapter 7. And here's what he says to them. And, and, and I'm relating this word here. Because they're, they're saying, who can listen to it? Who can hear it? And then in Acts chapter 7, later, this is what Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. Akuo, hear me. Listen to me. And then what he does from that point is he breaks down the Old Testament, gives them a short seminary lesson of the Old Testament. And then he gets to the point of Jesus. And he's saying it's about Jesus. And at this point, they don't want to hear anymore. Acts 7.51, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Now, if you call someone stiff-necked, they're probably going to get upset. They got upset. But what is he saying? You are responsible for resisting the Holy Spirit. Anyone who rejects the Holy Spirit, anyone who who resists the Holy Spirit, anyone who would say that Jesus Christ is not Lord is indeed responsible and will stand before a holy God judged guilty. And he's telling them, you always resist the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 54, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. Grind their teeth. They're moved with anger and torn emotionally. They gnashed their teeth at Stephen. This was by no means a friendly gesture. They weren't smiling at him. They were angry. And in an unfriendly manner, Acts 7.57, but they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Now take hold of this. These are people who are hearing the gospel, who are supposed to be religious people, those closest to God. And this is their natural response to the gospel. They shouted and stuffed their ears. I think it's safe to say that they did not have ears to hear anyway. And next, they rushed together at him. 
What do people do who are opposed to the gospel? They rush into evil. Proverbs 1.16, speaking of sinners, says, For their feet rush to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. Proverbs is filled with great wisdom, but also there's a foreshadowing here. And there will be many whose blood would be shed because of their following Christ. And Stephen was one of them. All of this took place before the high priest, leaders of the synagogue, and a man named, can you guess? Saul, who would later become Paul. He was given his approval. Why? Why would Saul give his approval? Because he did not have ears to hear and eyes to see. And so we get back to this question that the disciples, as they're standing around Jesus, are asking, who can hear it? Because if we can't understand it, then who could understand this? So what's their response to Jesus' teaching? They grumble, they dispute, they mock, they lie, they stand in unbelief, they grind their teeth, stop their ears, rush to kill. And later they would rush a rigged trial to kill Jesus. And then there's a rejection, a turning away. This is evidence that they were never truly in Christ. I hope that for everyone in this room, you are truly in Christ Jesus. I've had dear friends who knew way more about the Bible than I know about the Bible. A young man, when we were in college, he had Ziploc bags full of index cards with scripture written on them. He memorized the whole book of John because he was convicted to know the word more. He goes to seminary, learns a little bit, gets married shortly after, divorces his wife, and divorces the faith. And we could look at him and go, he knew more scripture than any of us. I'm not kidding about that whole book of John. We went bowling one time, and I said, oh, you've memorized the whole book of John? Go ahead, let's hear it. And by the time he got to chapter 8, I'm like, okay, I, I, I get it. You memorized it. I'm sure that there are many who are around Jesus who seem like real followers. But the problem is that they would not continue to follow. That's a serious problem. So how does Jesus respond? Does Jesus go, whoa, 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 okay, let's back up. I'm so sorry that I hurt your feelings. How can I say this a different way to keep you? What's a different approach that we could take? Maybe we could serve coffee and that would help you to stay. Maybe we could have a more inviting atmosphere when you come in that you feel safer and accepted. You know, all those things are good. I mean, we, we do serve coffee here, right? But Jesus doesn't back up and go, oh, I am so sorry for being me. I'm so sorry for being the Messiah, for being God. No. This is what he says in verse 61. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, knowing he knows because he's omniscient. He knows all things. This word scandalizo in the Greek means cause to sin, stumbling block. You had no idea that today you were going to come and then leave a Greek expert, did you? I just wanted to give you these words so that we could see the behind meaning of them. This word offense means stumbling block. They're stumbling over these words of Jesus. 
We see this again in 1 Corinthians 1.23. When Paul says, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. How could a man who was once named Saul then become Paul say this because of the Spirit? Because of the Spirit. He no longer saw it as a stumbling block, but for many people who are absent of the Holy Spirit, they hear the gospel and they go, no way, this is folly. This is foolish. These false disciples are stumbling and grumbling and turning instead of falling on their knees before the one true Christ. They're getting ready to do what man does best in his sin. Run. Run. Turn and head in the opposite direction. That's what you do when you're in danger, right? When you're in a dangerous situation, get out of there. As we see in Scripture, when we have sin before us, we're to flee. We're to get out of there. But when it comes to Jesus, we're to kneel down and go before the Savior, but not for man in his natural self. He gets out of there. She gets out of there. Get me out of here now. Instead of humbly and gratefully bowing before King Jesus, they are ready to rush out of there. Because again, that's what sinners do. For their feet rush to evil and they make haste to shed blood. They would leave now, but they would return. And in a rush, they would kill Jesus. It's sad that they that we cannot read today of all of these who are gathered around him, that all of them did not bow down before Jesus. But it is a beautiful picture for those who do. One of those who bears a powerful testimony is Joni Erickson Tata. When she was a young teenager, she was diving into the Chesapeake Bay and she dove into a shallow part which she did not realize and she became paralyzed from the shoulders down. But instead of going through life with a a woe is me type approach, she has taken this and used it for the glory of God. She has spoken and written books, um, spoken at many conferences, and at one conference she attended. This is the testimony that she gave uh, just recently from a conference that she attended. Here's what she had to say. At the close of the message... The speaker asked everyone to do something unusual. He asked us to push our chairs away from our tables and, if we feel comfortable in doing so, get out of your chair and kneel on the carpeted floor in prayer. Well, I sat there in my wheelchair and I watched as everyone else in the room. There had to be maybe 500 or 600 people. All of them got out of their chairs and got down on their knees for a brief time of worship. With everyone kneeling in the banquet room, I sat there kind of standing out. I looked around and I was sticking up, way up. The only one sitting there in this huge room and looking around, I could not stop the tears. Oh, I was not crying out of pity. I mean, I wasn't crying because I felt strange or different that I wasn't the, or that I was the only one sitting. No, my eyes were wet because it was so beautiful to see everyone kneeling in prayer. And it made me think of the day when I, too, will be able to get up out of this wheelchair on new resurrected legs. I can't wait for that day because when I get to see my glorified body, the first thing I'm going to do with my resurrected legs is fall down on grateful, glorified knees. 
I will once again have the chance to say with Psalm 95 verse 6, come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. You know, I realize that in heaven, I'll have the chance to then jump and dance and walk and run. It will be my privilege. It will be my privilege. A new body that can move will be a blessing for a job well done on earth. But I think that kneeling very still on bended knees, glorified knees, I think when I get to heaven, that'll be my sacrifice of praise. To not move when I will be able to move will be my one last chance to show the Lord how thankful I really am. Here's one who cannot wait to be able to bow down on her knees. And here is a crowd of people around Jesus who cannot wait to get away from him. There's a big difference between the two. Those who do not embrace the hard teachings of Christ are too hard-hearted to kneel down and confess that he is Lord. We must remember this as we reach out to those who are falling away or those who have never followed in the local church. Verse 62, then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Jesus asks the question, but he knows the response. So you don't believe that I came down from heaven. What if I were to go back from where I came from? What would be their response? They'd continue to run. Unless, unless, verse 63, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Church, may we pay close attention to what Jesus says here in verse 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. We need the helper's help. That's what Jesus calls the Holy Spirit. The helper will come to you. John 14, John 16. We need the helper's help. So number two, if we are to remain in Christ, we must fully rely upon the Holy Spirit's help. What does this mean? It means we are born again. Regeneration happens within us. The effectual call of the Holy Spirit, that when the Holy Spirit calls, we indeed respond because regeneration has already happened in our hearts. Regeneration is not our attempt to do better and to have change in our life. Regeneration is completely the work of the Holy Spirit so that we indeed can do better for the glory of God. The words that Jesus spoke in his spirit and life are beautiful to those who are in Christ but offensive to those who are against Christ, offensive to those whose minds are set on earthly things. We know this because we see it many times in Scripture. Philippians 3, 18 and 19, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame with minds set on earthly things. Things. It is safe to say that as Joshua Harris types out this Instagram post, his mind was set on earthly things. Because we are so earthly, we must have a heavenly intervention, an action which is taken to improve a situation. We need a heavenly intervention. In our case, because we're in a deadly situation. Colossians 2.13, and you 
who were dead in the trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. What do we see here in this verse? Man's dead. He is dead in his sins, but yet it is God who makes alive. Dead sinners are given life, but only by the gracious act of the Spirit who makes us alive to believe and trust in Jesus so that our boast may never be in ourselves, but always and forever in Christ Jesus. Verse 64, but there are some of you who do not believe. He's speaking to the crowd. There are some of you who do not believe. Remember, Jesus knew Saul didn't believe the testimony of Stephen, but later he himself would give testimony of Jesus, but only by the Spirit's help. Anyone who is in Christ today, if you're here today and you're saying you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you did not get to Christ on your own. You got there with the Spirit's leading, with the Spirit's help, with the Spirit awakening you to your great need for Jesus. What does this do? This makes us grateful. It makes us humble. We always want to give glory to the Father because it's because of Him that we have been made alive. Maybe, just maybe, some of these people would later turn back to Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus wants everyone to know that the flesh is no help at all. This is why we need a Savior. Verse 65, And He said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. I mean, Jesus says this more than once in John chapter 6. And we're thinking, hold on now, Jesus, would you lighten up? Would you lighten up? I mean, when you read this even, you go, man, that is so strong. (laughs) These people were walking away and you're saying, I told you, you're not coming unless the Father grants you to come. What is he doing? He's addressing their pride. Their pride. So, but what about for us as believers? How do we read this and how is this good news? Well, because it's by grace we've been saved. By grace. God is good. As we share the gospel, the power is not within us to save anyone. We cannot force the gospel. We must not cover up the gospel or make it appetizing to an unbeliever. If we tried, we would be making false disciples who would later turn away. Parents, we must be very careful that we do not do this with our children. I've heard statements even recently who have said, you know what, it's time. It's, it's time for our child. You know, he just, just needs to be baptized. Let's, let's do this. This is not here, by the way. If you're looking around thinking who that may be, you're thinking who's been baptized recently. It's, it's not anybody here. But you know, it's just time. We just need to get on with this. You're 12 years old. It's time to be baptized. We have to be very careful of forcing Jesus upon someone who is not truly believing. Following Jesus is not just something you do at a certain age. There's no right age in which you follow Jesus. There are some children that will follow Christ at the age of five. There will be other kids who follow Jesus at the age of 10 or 12 or 15 or 18 or 28 as they grow up or 38 or 78. So a word of encouragement to parents in the room right now, if you feel like you're doing something wrong, trust in the Holy Spirit to work. Pray that the Holy Spirit would do the work as you share the gospel, as you read to your children every night, as you pray with them, love them, but do not force Jesus upon them for fear of making a false 
disciple who would later turn away. How often has the gospel presentation been presented with little to no Jesus in the storyline? You want to go to heaven? You want to be happy? You want to go with mommy and daddy? You want to go there with all your friends? You want to live forever? You don't want to go to hell, do you? You definitely don't want to go to hell. Let me tell you about hell. It's dark. It's hot. Gnashing of teeth. You don't want to go there. So just, just, just call upon Jesus. If we even ask him to call upon Jesus. See, yes, hell is a real place. It is a place of torment, and it's where the majority of people are going. Because wide is the road to destruction. Narrow is the way to Christ. But when we present the gospel to someone, we are to present Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is the gospel. We don't go live out the gospel each day. If I were to go tell you, hey, go live the gospel. You can't live the gospel because Jesus lived the gospel. That's the life of Jesus. That's the death of Jesus. That's the resurrection of Jesus and the return of Jesus. That's Jesus' work. We trust in the gospel. Amen? We trust in the gospel. Jesus is the gospel, but man in his flesh will be offended by Jesus. No way around this truth. Many people turned against Jesus, so don't be offended if many people turn against you as you follow Jesus. But we trust in God's grace to move mightily because if he can save us, he can save anyone. God saved people, is saving people, and will save people. We trust him to go before us in evangelism, but we must go fully relying on the Holy Spirit's help. So if we are to remain in Christ, we must fully rely upon the Holy Spirit's help in continuing in the gospel and in presenting the gospel. Number three, here we go. If we are to remain in Christ, we must believe that God alone has the words of eternal life. Verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. What's happening here? What's going on? Is Jesus failing? Because this is not a good business model, is it? (laughs) When thousands of people walk away from you, we go, oh, that's not good business. Jesus is separating real disciples from fake disciples. Fake or false disciples come to Jesus for many reasons other than Jesus. Listen closely to this. They may come because of miracles, as we saw in verse 2. They may come for full bellies, as we saw in 13 and 14. Or for political freedom and power, as we saw in verse 15. There are many reasons in which you can follow Jesus or say that you follow Jesus other than wanting to follow Jesus, to trust him. Many reasons. Please, as you hear this, may you go, oh, not me. Not me. I would, I would never make that mistake Anytime I read this in the Gospels, anytime I come upon this in Scripture, I examine my own heart, and I encourage you to examine your own heart according to the Scriptures. Why? So that we'll continue in this good news. That we'll forever depend upon this good news. I heard this quote recently, true disciples come to Jesus because he is the prize, not because he dispenses prizes. 
Well, I'll follow Jesus as long as things keep going well, but when things turn hard, or when the culture begins to change, when the culture and the heat of the culture begins to turn up, and all of a sudden pastors aren't supposed to preach that homosexuality is a sin, we'll see how many people are faithful in the gospel, how many people will change. Since we began with him, I'll just use him as an illustration, but him, Joshua Harris, being so firm in the gospel and then coming to apologize for the things he said, he has no right to apologize on the behalf of Jesus Christ. No right. No matter how pleasing it sounds to a culture who wants it to be a standard that their way of sin should be accepted by all. Jesus draws a hard line against sin. But there are many who have and many who will. And I fear that many more, and you say, Brian, you're being extreme here. No, I really believe many more will fall away due to how God has created us. And do we affirm that indeed he is the creator and he has made a man to be a man and a woman to be a woman. And that marriage is between a man and a woman. That there could be such hostility that you could be against someone who is proclaiming that they are now female and racing other females in track and field and winning and smoking them all. Why? Because I'm sorry if this offends anyone, but I'm really not. It's just true. It's how God made us. Men are mostly faster than women. Just how it is. How dare you? Look, let's line up. Let's go. Let's do it. true. It does not mean, it does not mean that a woman is less than a man or a man is chauvinistic or, or, or whatever. I mean, we could go down the line, and, and, and I have gotten off my notes for a second here, but I'm, I am I'm saying this is what false disciples do. They cave in to the pressure of the world. I fear that that may happen here, that we cave in why is it that if I say something, as I just said, that you come up and say, I'm so glad that you would preach that homosexuality is a sin. Well, listen, adultery is a sin too. Cheating is a sin too. Lying is a sin too. Worrying and anxiety is just as great of a sin as all of that. That's sin too. Thank you for your encouragement to us as pastors that we would preach the gospel. And we welcome that. We're not saying, please don't encourage us in that. Let us encourage one another in this. But I think that goes to show just what a surprise it is that people would still teach what Jesus taught in our culture today. So what does Jesus do? He separates them out. They left because it was too hard. Trusting in Christ alone was too hard for these men. As it is for many today. 1 John 2.19 They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. 
But they went out that it might become plain that they are not all of us. They are not all of us. I'm going to say something I shouldn't say. I'm almost finished. (laughs) How close are you to the end, Brian? Here we are. Verse 67, so Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. We read this, I read this, and I say, well done, Peter. Well done. What a statement of truth that is so needed. Lord, there is none but you. (laughs) Where are we going to go? I don't want to go anywhere else. I want to be with you. You possess the words of eternal life. Hear what Peter says. We have believed and have come to know. He did not reverse those. There's not a single translation out there, I do not believe, that has reversed those if they're holding to the text. He did not say, we have come to know and we believe. There's a big difference. These false disciples, they deny Jesus and the things that he taught. And they say, There are other ways to eternal life. Christ alone does not possess the words. In the flesh, they wanted to come to know on their own terms before they would believe. They wanted to be sure and to know before they would believe. Peter says, we believe and have come to know. This is is the mark of true believers. Hear this. If, If we miss this, I think we miss it all for today. To whom shall we go? There's going to be a question that we have to face at times. Is it worth following Jesus? And those who are fully in Christ will say, to whom shall we go? We have believed and we're coming to know. We are becoming more sure as we believe. More sure. More sure. I am more sure today that Jesus is Lord than when I was 13 years old and bowed before him and asked him to save me of my sins. I am more sure today that that was right and he is indeed the Christ. Do you bear this testimony? With Peter, do you bear this testimony? We believe and we're coming to know. We believe and we're coming to know. We're going to be sure. If man is sitting there going, you have to convince me. I have to be sure of all of these things before I believe. We're not going to be sure of all things of Jesus Christ before we believe. Because as we believe, we come to know him more. Peter is not saying we have nothing else better to do than to be in the spotlight with you. He is saying there's no better way of life. You have the words of eternal life. And so, that's a good testimony. In closing, how does Jesus end it? Jesus makes sure that Peter does not forget these glorious truths and reminds him where they come from so that we would never become haughty and proud. And may I say this, that when I speak of Joshua Harris, my prayer for him is that he would truly come to repentance and follow Christ. I'm not putting him up here on this stage and using him as an example and to beat him up, but know that our hearts would break for him that he would have true repentance in following Christ, that if this is the same testimony of his wife, that her heart would be soft and that she would follow Jesus. But may we always know that if we're following Jesus, it's because of his grace and his goodness towards us. He says, did I not choose you, the twelve? 
and yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. He says, I chose you guys, and I know that one of you is a work of the devil. Satan's going to use you to turn against me. I know this already. And the disciples never picked up on this because in the night when they were having a meal together, they still didn't know who, who it was he was speaking of. Jesus always knew. But later, Peter would confess in Matthew 16, 16 and 17, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And to that we go, amen, good confession. How does Jesus follow it up? Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You know because of my Father. You are with me because of my Father. Anyone who follows me is because of my Father, is because of grace. It should not surprise us that it is the Spirit who gives life and that the flesh is no help at all. May we rely upon the Spirit. John 6 shines a radiant light on John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. If you leave Jesus, where will you go? He's the only way. Trust in Christ. Made the good confession that he is Lord. Give credit where credit is due upon God's grace. All the hard work has already been done for you. It just comes to a point of repentance and trusting in that good work. Would you do that today? If you're here today and you're not following Jesus, would you make the good confession that Jesus is Lord? And would you begin to follow Christ? We would love to walk with you, walk alongside you, and help you in growing in Christ Jesus. Pastors are going to be standing up here in just a moment. Um, we have on the connection card, check, I want to know more about following Christ. After the service, we can have these conversations. We just are here. We want to help you follow Jesus. But it begins by believing. And then as you believe and follow, you will come to know more and more for the rest of your life that Jesus is indeed Lord. If we're to remain in Christ, we must embrace the hard teachings of Christ. If we are to remain in Christ, we must fully rely upon the Holy Spirit's help. And if we are to remain in Christ, we must believe that God alone has the words of eternal life. Let us pray. Father, thank you for the words of eternal life. Thank you that in you there is life eternal. The greatest joy, the greatest benefit, the greatest satisfaction, the greatest reward of eternal life is that we can know you. Father, work in us. Work in the life of the Christ follower today that as we hear this passage, we would examine our hearts May we ask the question, by truly relying on Christ? Father, I pray that there is a confident response in the power of the Holy Spirit. If it is indeed yes, that it will be a resounding yes. Father, I do pray for the ones here who may have been in church for a long time, but yet they can't confidently respond with a yes I pray their pride will be put away and that, Lord, they will truly know 
Jesus Christ today. Thank you, Jesus, that you did not back down, back away, or change the message or the plan. That you went forth and accomplished the greatest work on our behalf. To God be the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.